often what breaks your heart the most is what God is calling you into to create the greatest change. So pay attention to what breaks your heart. Because if it breaks your heart, if it causes you to wake up at night, to wake up in the morning and think about that thing because it's doing something to your heart, there might be something in there that is connected to your calling. Hey, welcome to the Night Church Podcast. You are joining us for a four-part series that was done at our young adult retreat by Pastor Benjamin Lundquist. He loves speaking to relevant issues that young adults are asking about. And so you're going to really enjoy this. I can't wait for you to hear this series. Enjoy. I'm going to do a quick review of Friday night. Uh, this morning, we're going to pray. I'm going to talk about, uh, I'm going to give you a little teaching on uh, calling and life assignment, which something I wish somebody would have told me 20 years ago, and uh, hopefully that'll be a blessing to you. And then I'm going to dive into a story of Nehemiah and share with you an amazing case study that's going to really um, illustrate what we're going to be talking about tonight. So, uh, quick review, theme of the whole weekend has been moving forward, and I love the theme song. Thanks, praise team, for uh, just some great one-liners in there, you know, that I absolutely love. So we're talking about moving forward, uh, that God never has us a neutral, that he always has a next step for us, you know, in our faith walk with him, on the impact we have with other people, how we serve with the gifts and abilities God has given us. He always wants us to be progressing and moving forward. Um, and so we talked Friday night about where does that start? Um, it starts with you being confident about who you are. Somebody say amen. That you are, you are sons and daughters always, that there has never been a point in your past uh, right here in this moment that you have, you have not been a son or a daughter. And all the worth and value and the royalty, everything that comes with that, you have always been that. Amen? And so we, we talked about how the loudest voice that speaks into your life is your own. So make sure you are speaking truth. Make sure you are writing truth. Make sure you are surrounding yourself with people who affirm and support the truth that God has spoken over your life. And then we talked about how you have a responsibility as a faith community to speak truth into the lives of other people. Every time you speak truth into somebody else, it is a reflection of the truth that has been spoken over you. So don't keep truth to yourself. You got to speak that over somebody else. So last night was all that foundation of you have to know who you are. And I think the work of sanctification um, is, is us becoming who we have always been. Woo, think about that. that. That for our whole life, we are stepping forward into who God has always known us to be and taking on that reality of who God has always said that we were, that we were from the beginning. So we talked about that Friday night. Uh, this morning we talked about leading yourself well, and we talked about how you take care of things that you value. If you don't value yourself, then you're not going to take care of yourself, but you are going to value yourself because you know how much value God has put into you. If we want to live and lead and serve, we have to do that from a place of health and wholeness. 
We cannot make our impact on the world if we are operating from a cup that is empty or depleted. You kind of know what I'm, what I've got. You want to love, but you have nothing to give. And you want to serve, but you're, you're exhausted and you're depleted. So we talked about because you have value, lead yourself well because you are valuable. And that starts with foundational statements of believing your worth and value, taking extreme ownership of your life, no excuses, no casting blame on your circumstances or other people. And then we talked about how you always want to be practicing self-awareness. Like you always want to be discovering who God has called and created you to be in this assignment that you are in, knowing that that's going to be shifting as God grows you. And then we talked about those five steps. Anybody bold enough to say, I think I got those five steps all lined out. Anybody, anybody think you can do that? Okay, you by mem from memory? Anybody? anybody? <laughs> okay, what you got? Are you looking at your phone? All right, hey, just give, just give, it, give us the five steps anyway. What's the first one? Assess honestly okay. where you are. Yep. The second one is or cast a new vision for your life. Yep. Build a system of habits that ensures your goals. Yep. Build a personal board yep. around yourself. And I think the last one is pass your baton. Was that six? <laughs> that, was, that was five. Okay. And yeah, passing the baton. So leading yourself well, if you weren't here this morning, starts with honest assessment, casting a new vision for your life based on the honest assessment. And then um, you want a vision that's compelling for you. You build a system of habits that'll guarantee you can accomplish that vision, execute it, don't lead and live alone, make sure you got people around you, and then pass the baton of mentorship to other people. And the whole goal of leading yourself well, it's not selfish, it's essential, because you are leading yourself well so you can have a full cup, so you can love and serve other people. That, that's what we talked about uh, today. Little, little quick summary, let's pray. And then, ooh, I'm really excited about uh, sharing this. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you. Thank you for the new team members who just arrived. They are loved and valued. Thank you, God, for those who have been with us since Friday. Thank you for being with us. Uh, even anybody who may have heard some rough, challenging news, even this afternoon, God, we pray that you are with us today and we claim your presence. God, we need you in the next 30 minutes. <laughs> Take my fumbled, fumbled words and my attempts to communicate and do something great through them. And I pray, God, that you will speak a word into somebody's life that will shift their life. And so we just give you this time. We ask, God, that you will do what you need to do um, to move us to where we need to be. So we love you, God, and your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so real quick, um, in Matthew 4.19, which was our scripture reading, thank you for the team who read that and prayed. In Matthew 4.19, there is a very small verse that says, it's a call from Jesus, and Jesus tells his disciples, very, very small, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Um, when you think about that little passage, what you see in there is that all of us have a dual calling for our life that is shared by everybody. The first and supreme calling, and it is essential that you get them in the sequential order that they are laid out in scripture. The, the order is, Jesus says, follow me. Our supreme calling above all else is to follow Jesus as our friend, our Lord, and our Savior. Above all else. So our first calling is to follow Jesus. And then the second calling, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, is to do something with the life 
that Jesus has given us. So I meet a lot of people that ask me this question. I'm trying to figure out what am I supposed to be doing with my life? Has anybody in this room ever asked a question like that? today. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing because it's you. Uh, <laughs> oh, this retreat is great. I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. Um, but I, people have asked me, you know, little, little moments. I trying to figure out what am I doing with my life? Let me just tell you this. I can relate a thousand percent to that challenge. Well, what was that like? I went to four different universities. I had eight different declared majors in college, and I have had seasons of having no idea what I was doing. I know what that's like. And somebody once told me, well, that must have been really fun going to four different private universities. And I said, it was fun and extremely expensive. And because, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. They're like, oh, I didn't think about that. But I know what that's like to struggle through, you know, that idea of calling. I know what it's like from a young age to feel in the deepest parts of my soul that I wanted my life to count, that I wanted to make an impact with my life, that my life was not wasted space, that there was a reason for my existence. Like it, it was since I used to walk with my mom five miles during some of my childhood when she would go exercise, I would ride my bike. There was something, maybe she was speaking life into me, but there was something in my soul that longed to have a life that counted. Like I wanted to do something with my life. And I know what that's like to wrestle and to struggle with how is that gonna be played out and what is that gonna look like and how does that fit with career and is your calling really your career or is it not your career? And we're gonna talk about all that stuff. So just remember as you're taking notes, every one of us has a dual calling. Our first supreme calling sequentially is to follow Jesus as our friend, our Lord and our savior. And the calling of what do you do with your life is built off of the first calling. I'll just share this with you. If you don't know your creator, it's going to be really difficult to figure out what you have been created to do. If you don't know your creator, it's going to be really challenging to figure out what you are called to do. And I know what that wrestling journey has been like for sure, firsthand. The book of Nehemiah has so many little nuggets about life and leadership and calling and purpose. So let me give you a quick context. Um, that may not be a book that you, that you read very often, like, man, just another great morning with the book of Nehemiah. You know, oh, man, you read, you read Nehemiah this week? I read it every day. I just love it. You know, it speaks to me. Context of ne Nehemiah. Nehemiah writes the book, and it's written firsthand, firsthand account of what's going on. He talks about himself in the, in the first person. Nehemiah writes the book about his own experience. As the Israelites are in exile, he finds himself serving as the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. So Nehemiah is the one tasting the food, checking for poison for a very influential king. That's his role. So Nehemiah, as he's going throughout this book, all of a sudden he gets news and how many of us can relate on some level to receiving news that shifts your life? Phone call, text message. I know what that is like. When you get news and your life moving forward is never going to be the same. 
So Nehemiah receives news, and his brothers give him an update. And, they, and this wasn't great news. They said, Nehemiah, the walls of Jerusalem, representing the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel who is chosen, it is destroyed. It lies in ruins, like everything that we knew. The pride and joy of Jerusalem, representing the anointing of God, it is, it is, it is broken down. There's nothing left. When Nehemiah gets the news, um, the, the scripture says that he knelt down and he wept for days because he was so cut to the core at the news about God's anointing and the destruction and knowing that the Israelites have pulled away from God and God's leading. I just want to drop this little nugget for you. Often, what breaks your heart the most is what God is calling you into to create the greatest change. So pay attention to what breaks your heart. Because if it breaks your heart, if it causes you to wake up at night, to wake up in the morning and think about that thing, because it's doing something to your heart, there might be something in there that is connected to your calling. So here Nehemiah has this broken heart experience, like he's weeping for days. When you experience brokenness, tragedy, you have to make a choice on what you're going to do with that. You can either carry it on your own shoulders, which I would not recommend, or you can make the decision, I'm going to take my brokenness and my tragedy, and I'm going to take that to God instead of letting that separate me from God. Even if I have questions on why this young man died, on why that car accident happened, on why my nephew a month and a half ago at three years old almost lost his life, and is now in a halo for five months. That's my nephew. Even with all the questions, you have to ask, you have to take the questions and say, even if I don't get it, I'm still going to go to God with it. And I'm not going to let my lack of understanding separate me from the God who loves me and calls me and cares for me. So Nehemiah weeps for three days he goes to God in prayer. I mean, what a lesson is this? Like, he's broke, and he prays. And he prays on behalf of himself, and he says in so many words, I'm paraphrasing, and this whole narrative is Nehemiah 1 to 6. You can check it out later. But Nehemiah says, God, if there is any issues between us, if there is any separation between my heart and the heart of God, I confess, I lay down any separation. He, it's as if, as if he was saying, God, burn any bridge in my life that is leading me away from you to destruction, burn the bridge. I want to be headed in your direction. So Nehemiah prays for himself that he can be in right place with God. And then Nehemiah does two more things. Oh, this is so good. Nehemiah prays on behalf of the nation of Israel. And he said, my nation, he takes responsibility. My nation, my praxis, my church, my community, okay? He prays on behalf of the nation. He says, I present the nation back to you. We have left you. We have not called you as our God. We have led our own way. And I am presenting and giving the nation back to you. And then at the very end of chapter one, he, he just inserts this little request that is a game changer. 
So at the end of this chapter one, Nehemiah says to God, as he's finishing out this three-part prayer, praise for himself, praise for the nation. At the very end, he makes a little request. He says, God, may I walk in your favor. Woo! The favor of God is about things happening in your life and through you that could never happen under your best days. It's about doors coming open that you couldn't kick down if you were Chuck Norris in his 20s. It's, it's about things happening that are so above your scope of abilities and giftedness. It is only by the favor of God. So he asks for God's favor. And then he finds himself in front of King Artaxerxes. I think next day, we're going to assume. And they built up this relationship because the, the health and the safety of the king is built on Nehemiah doing his job. And so they got this relationship. So the king, this is nuts. So the king says to his cupbearer, Nehemiah, it's all over your face. You're broken. Like you can see the pain and the anguish. And the king says, what is going on? And, and, and Nehemiah says, king, my nation of Israel, it lies in ruins. It is broken down like these are my people. And here is where you see God's favor just stepping to the forefront. The king turns to Nehemiah and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Kings don't tell cupbearers that you can request anything you want, and I'm going to do it. Royalty does not make that request or that offering to a cupbearer in the shadows, rarely seen in the organizational structure of the royal kingdom. Nobody knew the cupbearer. And so the king turns to the up cupbearer because Nehemiah is under the favor of God. And the king says, what do you want me to do for you? Significant. Nehemiah, he knew what he wanted. But in chapter 2, it says this, he didn't respond. He prayed. God, let these words come out the way that you want them to come out. Let me have boldness in the presence of royalty to remember that I am royalty. Let me have the confidence to request, request what is, what is, what is in my heart to go back and rebuild. Let me have the confidence to step forward, to let go of fear, and to make the request. So Nehemiah prays, and then he speaks. How many of us would do very well in our life to pray before we speak? <laughs> Anybody ever had a moment where you thought, wish I could take that back? Wish I could have said that a little bit different. So Nehemiah prays, and he stands there confidently and says, King, I want to go. I want to go back, and I want to rebuild that wall. And I'm going to need a team, and I want your seal, and I want the, the nations to know that I have your full support to do this rebuilding project. And the king says, whatever you need. What? So Nehemiah goes with the team. They go to the wall. First thing they do, very consistent with what we talked about this morning, first thing they did was assess the condition of the wall. They didn't just shadow box, as, as Paul was talking about this morning in the scripture, aimlessly, let's just do something. They assessed with wisdom. What's the condition? 
what's happening. And indeed, full broken down. First time Nehemiah is seeing this face to face. Everything is broken down. Nehemiah calls his team together. And this is like out of a scene of Braveheart or some kind of like epic battle scene that I imagine. Nehemiah calls his team together and he says in so many words, for the glory of God, let us rebuild. I'm like, this is epic, <laughs> you know. Let us rebuild, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to infinity and beyond, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, let us rebuild. And so Nehemiah's team, they start the rebuilding process. The very first thing they rebuild was the sheep gate. The sheep gate in the wall of Jerusalem was so the animal sacrifices could enter, representing Jesus, who would be the soon coming Savior of the world. So think about this. If you are going to rebuild anything, if you're going to rebuild a life, if you're going to rebuild a marriage, if you're going to rebuild a community, if you're going to rebuild a church, rebuilding must be built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. It's got to be built on Jesus. It's got to be built on the hope of Jesus. So they rebuild this sheep gate with all that it represents, and they start building. And anytime you got something good going on, expect resistance. Yes. Expect attacks. So attacks begin to come. So Nehemiah pulls his team together and practice community. Please hear what I'm saying. He pulls the team together, and he says, uh, you all got two hands. Put your hands out, paraphrasing. Put your hands out. In one hand, I'm going to give you a tool. And in the other hand, you're going to have a weapon. The tool is for building. And the weapon is for protecting this community. Let Praxis be a place where you are building each other up. Let Praxis be a place where nobody is speaking an ill word about somebody else on social media. Nobody is speaking an ill word about somebody in a hallway. Nobody is gossiping about somebody else. You kind of know what I'm talking about? Do things, speak things that build up and make people stronger. And let Praxis be a place where you protect each other, where you look out for each other where you come alongside somebody and say, hey, I just want to ask you some of those tough questions because I care and because I love you. Amen. Let Praxis be a place that builds people. And let Praxis be a place that protects people. Amen? Amen? I mean, what a vision that could be for this community. I think it's already happening on so many levels. And so they begin to rebuild. They're making progress. All of a sudden, the enemy... Uh, this is going to tie into something we said this morning. The, the enemy nations come over to Nehemiah with the invitation. <laughs> Just remember this. Not every seemingly good invitation is from God. Yeah. It may look great on paper. It may look like what you've prayed for. But it may or may not be from God. And so the invitation comes from nations to Nehemiah. And the, and the invitation says this. Nehemiah. Come and dine with us. Come spend time with us. Come socialize and rub shoulders with us. And Nehemiah, with the confidence and favor of God, turns to the invitation, which came five times-ish, maybe six. Came five or six times, and Nehemiah said this, how can I come off the wall to meet with you? I am doing a great work. I am not going to come down 
off of this wall to do something that seems good and sacrifice the great thing that I am being called to do. You see, Nehemiah was focused on the great and he was able to say no to what was seemingly good because the good would undermine, oh, so much in here. The good would undermine the great. Not everything that seems good is for you. And especially not at the expense of a calling that is great. So give, your, give yourself permission when you need to, to say no to, to things that may seem good so you can focus on what is great. Yeah. We're going to talk about that. So Nehemiah says, no, they rebuild the wall. Somebody can check it. I think it's like in 52 days or 53. I always get that confused. Maybe it's 52. But they rebuild the wall. Is it 52? Is it 52? Okay. They rebuild the wall in 52 days. Unheard of. Destruction to rebuild in its entirety, wholeness, in 52 days. And when you read through the scriptures, here's what they said. The surrounding nations, they looked at what had been done. And here's what they said. It was not about Nehemiah. They said it was only by the favor and the hand of God yes. that this could have been done. A, a faith leader's goal is always to give glory to God. A faith leader's goal is always to leave people with, it was only God. It was only, by, it was only by God's might and power that this thing happened. Let me talk about calling and life assignment a little bit. So identity we hit on Friday. Identity, sons and daughters always. We kind of good with that? Always. The calling idea is that you are called to Jesus first, and then you are called to do something with your life second. The question that so many of us ask is, what are we supposed to be doing with our life, <laughs> okay? Let me give you a few questions to help clarify your calling. These might be, might be worth writing down if you want to write them down. I know Madeline's going to write them down. Um, thank you, Madeline. Maybe you can share your notes with everybody, okay? <laughs> Couple questions that can give evidence to that second calling of what are you called to do with your life, okay? First question is this. Um, number one, what would you do for free? Because you love what you do so much, what would you do for free, okay? Num number one, what would you do for free? And again, these are questions to give you some evidence of what your calling might be. What would you do for free? Second question is this, when is the last time in your life that a day flew by and you lost track of time because you loved what you were doing so much? You looked at your clock in the morning, 8 a.m., you blinked an eye, 8 p.m., and you said to yourself, where has the day gone? And it didn't drag either, like you loved it. Okay, so what would you do for free? Um, when's the last time a day flew by and you lost track of time because you love what you're doing so much? Question number three, what did you love to do as a child? Because often what you love to do as a child, the wiring has always been in you. It just may look a little different, okay? I love to build Legos and forts as a child. Anybody, anybody with me? Okay, now what do I do? I build teams and I build people. But I've always been a builder, like it's always been in me. I could motivate 
a lot of people, kids in my neighborhood, okay? God's used that for his glory in a certain way. So think about what is it that you love to do as a kid, because um, that may still play out as an adult in a different way. And question number four, maybe, maybe last one I'll give you is this. What breaks your heart the most? Because often what breaks your heart the most is what God is calling you into to create the greatest change. What breaks your heart? What demographic of people does your heart long and burn for? Who is it? Is it homeless? Is it, is it kids who grow up without engaged moms and dads? Is it foster kids, low-income family, whatever it is? Yeah, lost kittens? Oh, yeah, fostering, yeah. Foster, foster, yeah, fostering, fostering animals, okay? Yeah, what is it that breaks your heart the most, okay? Think about these questions when you think about your calling. Now, let me just share what I think is, has been really helpful for me. I think your calling, or you could call it your purpose, I think your calling spans your entire life, okay? So your calling is gonna look different as you age, grow, develop, mature, change, learn. It's gonna look a little different over your lifetime, okay? Here is something I need to have you just kind of internalize and take in, okay? You can push back during the Q&A if you want to, okay? Your calling by God can never be contained in your career. I'm going to say that again. Your calling by God can never be contained in a career because your career is what you do to make a living. But your calling is what you do with your life to impact the world with the unique gifts and abilities that God has given you. Unpack that a little bit. Thank you for asking. Okay, so you think about this. Well, what about a career? Does it matter? Absolutely it matters. But what I'm telling you is this. Your career can complement your calling, but your career cannot contain your calling. If my calling is to develop emerging leaders, do I only do that from nine to five? No way. I do that with my life. I mentor kids at Starbucks way after I go home from the office. I'm mentoring kids on my kids' basketball team, taking kids snowboarding. We're having conversations on the lift about, like, you know who you are. Like, what are your gifts? How are you using those in your classroom? So your career can complement your calling, but your career cannot contain your calling. So the goal is this. The goal is, over your lifetime, to try as best you can to align your career and your calling. But I just want to, like, take the pressure off of some people. You are never going to find a 100% alignment. And you just have to be okay with that. Not every aspect, whether you're a physical therapist, whatever you do, not every aspect of what you do is going to align 100% with your calling. You kind of with me on this one? So over your lifetime, because a career is significant, because it occupies a lot of your time, and, and it does matter. So over your lifetime, you are looking at how do I bring my career the best I can into alignment with my calling. But just knowing you're never going to find 100% alignment. And you're just going to have to be okay with that. It doesn't mean you quit your job. It doesn't mean you run away. It may mean that you do your job a lot more intentionally 
that you're doing it right now, but you're looking for ways to align your calling in your career. But remember, your calling cannot be contained in your career because your calling is bigger. Are you kind of with me on this one? Your calling is what you do with your life. So, that's a mouth, mouthful. Let me just take off some stress, okay? When I had those eight majors at four different Adventist universities, I was asking this question, God, what do you want me to do with my life? I don't think that's a bad question, but I think there is a better question. And I think the better question is this, God, what is the assignment that you have put in front of me right now? And what does it mean for me to be faithful and fruitful to the assignment that you have put in front of me? Fully recognizing that a lifelong calling or purpose is made up of many, many life assignments. So a much, much better question for me was, man, my mind is blowing. Like, how do I know what I'm supposed to do for my entire life? Maybe God says, hey, let me worry about that. You worry about the assignment that I have put in front of you. And you worry about being faithful and fruitful to the assignment that I have given you. Fully recognizing that, that crushing the assignment that you're in, whoops, is good, will set up your next assignment. Yes. So if you're going to look at your assignment in front of you and think, who cares? I don't even want to do this. Then that will not give you the opportunity to open doors for your next assignment in the same way that it would. Let me bring this back to Scripture. What was Nehemiah's job description in his firsthand account narrative? He was what? What if Nehemiah had said, man, worthless position. Nobody even talks to me. I am so low on the organizational totem pole. Why am I even doing this? God, I'm in exile, and I'm holding cups and plates. What am I even doing? What if Nehemiah had approached his cupbearer role like that? Would he have ever built the trust with, with King Artaxerxes where the king was able to say, based on their trust relationship, whatever you need me to do, I got you. Yeah. Nehemiah's ability to have the resources of the king at his disposal were built on the fact that he was faithful and, and fruitful as a cupbearer that nobody knew. And his cupbearer role set up his rebuilding role. If you were to ask me, uh, what is Nehemiah's purpose? I think Nehemiah's purpose was to build. He built teams and he built walls. And even though he was a cupbearer, he may have wondered, like, I just want to build some stuff, and I'm just passing play, play, I'm like at an eternal potluck. Like, what am I doing here? Okay, it's like a casserole. What are we doing? Like, here we go, you know? King, don't eat that. Doesn't look good. Okay? But what if he had said, like, what am I doing here? But here's what he said. I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to be fruitful, and I'm going to trust God that there is some kind of purpose in what I'm doing right now. And so he crushed his assignment that ended up setting up his next assignment, which was to rebuild an entire nation for God's glory, symbolically by the wall of Jerusalem. So the, the assignment that we have in front of us, it is one of many that will end up making up your life purpose. Okay? Don't hear 
what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is this. I'm not saying stay in a toxic assignment. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if you have an assignment in front of you, do the very best you can to be faithful and fruitful to the assignment that is in front of you. We, we kind of good on that? Knowing that your purpose is made up of many, many life assignments. For me, that took the pressure off of, I got to figure out my whole life. No, you don't. Just figure out the assignment in front of you. If that's residency, knock it out of the park. You only got four months. Amen and amen. <laughs> you don't seem, well, because you're probably tired. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's a small thing, whatever. I don't know. You know, hey, you only got four months, okay? So if that's your assignment, be faithful and fruitful and do your very best with where you are at, knowing that this will set up the next. Am, am I right? that that's going to get you the, the opportunities to serve as a doc in different places. So think about your purpose. Everybody has one. Everybody has a calling. But think about it in terms of those assignments. And so that might be a good thing to think about tonight, tomorrow as you drive home. What is the assignment that God has put in front of you right now? And what does it mean to be faithful and fruitful to the assignment that you have in front of you. Has this been helpful? Yes. I don't know. Is it helpful, kind of? I wish I could have understood that when I was, you know, when I had hit about declared major seven. <laughs> or somebody's like, hang on. Let, let's talk about this a little bit, you know. Um, I just want to remind you that you have an incredible calling that has been placed. Like a calling that is grander than you could ever fathom. And it's a dual calling. And your calling is to follow Jesus as your friend, Lord, and Savior, and then to do something with your life to impact the world for God's glory with the unique gifts and the abilities that God has given you. Nobody in this room doesn't have a calling. Everybody has a calling. Amen? Just want to remind you of that. Let that sink in. I'm going to pray that we're, we're going to do some Q&A. Um, yeah, let's pray. Dear God, I uh, hope that landed the way you wanted it to land. And God, thank you for calling us. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for, oh, it's so good. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for calling us to you as friend, Lord, and Savior. And thank you for calling us to do something with our life to do something with the incredible gifts and the abilities that we are still discovering that you have already put in us. God, we know, Matthew 4, 19, that the calling is sequential, that if we want to figure out this, what am I created to do calling, it's built off of knowing the creator calling. So God, tonight, as we carve out this moment, we just want to pause in this moment of silence and give all of us in this room a chance to accept that first calling today. To say, Jesus, today I claim you as friend. Today I claim you as Savior. Today I claim you as Lord of my life. If that's your prayer in this little moment of silence, just have a quick conversation and I just encourage you Say to God what you need to say to God in this moment.
God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for creating us. Thank you that we have purpose. And God, as we um, have chosen, which we have to do every day, uh, to follow you, God, may you lead us forward deeper into the calling that you have for us. God, whatever assignment you have placed in front of us, may we be faithful and fruitful to this assignment, knowing that this assignment will set up the next assignment. In your name we pray, amen. <laughs> you got to be, be careful. Be careful. All right. Once again, Ben, thank you so much for the message you shared tonight. Uh, it was wonderful. The idea of calling is, you know, hopefully important in all of our lives. So like we've done every time leading up to this evening, we're going to do a little bit of a Q&A. So I'm going to ask a question, and then I'm going to turn it to you all, the audience. So if you've got questions, thoughts, anything you'd like to add, Think of those now, and then in a few moments, we'll start calling on people because we'd love to hear what you all have to say and what you all have to ask. So to kind of kick us off, um, as I was listening tonight and I was listening to you talk about calling, I was thinking about that in a little bit of, you know, our own, like, Adventist-specific yep. context, right? And as Adventists, we are pretty heavily on the side of, like, freedom of choice as opposed to predestination. So... Give me some of your thoughts in terms of calling, um, because I think some may interpret, you know, there's like one call or one person or one thing or one path. So where, where do you think freedom of choice might make its way into that discussion, or what are some of your thoughts there? For sure. I think, um, I think when God place a calling on his life. Remember, the first calling is to follow him. That's number one calling. The second calling um, is to impact the world with the gifts and the abilities that God has given us. And I think God gives us full freedom as to what that can look like. And you can live out your calling in different careers, different off time, different uh, ways that you interact with your community. And so I think, there's a, I think there is full flexibility on how your gifts and abilities are used, you know, to live out your calling. And so I think God, as our creator, puts unique gifts and abilities in us. He gives us opportunities. He opens doors. And I think we have the freedom um, and the ownership to say, God, I'm going to use these in this way, or here's how this is going to play out. So I don't, I don't think God ever prescripts exactly how our gifts and abilities are going to be used. I think God gives us opportunities as we trust him. And I think there's a lot of flexibility on, on how that can play out for, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we could go into a lot on that. I think there's, man, I think there, there are people that are called to do ministry and there's some that are called to do that as pastors and there's some that are called to do that as entrepreneurs. It can look different, you know? And, there, and there's some that are called to do that as as teachers and parents and advocates, uh, owner of the leaders of nonprofits. And so I think there's a whole bunch of different ways that that gets played out. And I think it looks different in the different assignments of our life, you know, as, as we kind of move forward. So I, I think we have, I think we are in partnership with God with the calling. And I think we have a lot of input 
into what that looks like according to the gifts that God has given us. All right, thank you. I so we're gonna helps. open it up to the audience here. <laughs> I see Daniel first out of the corner of my eyes, so go for it. So I just, something that I think we all go through sometimes, and I just had the question about how maybe you approach this, where you're on a path, whether you believe you're called to that path. Yep. And let's, I think we've all been in a situation where things just don't go as planned. How do you figure out if that is God telling you that this isn't meant for you, or if that's just the devil getting in the way of what God is calling you to do? <sighs> Appreciate that very easy question <laughs> that you gave me. Thank you. <laughs> um, let me just answer your questions with some questions, <laughs> because a, a very wise greatest leader of all time was a master at responding with a question to questions, okay? Um, does what you're doing align with your passions? Does what you're doing align with your gift areas, with, with, what, with what you are doing? Have you surrendered what you are doing to God and actually asked God to lead uh, through this open door, or did you just jump through a door with no consultation at all? And so I think some good, just some good questions to ask. Is the challenge that is coming up, is that just part of the hardness of life? That, that everything we do, I do things, some of you may know what I'm talking about. I have done things in the name of ministry that have been extremely difficult, and it's just part of the job. It's part of the opportunity to serve people. And so I think asking those, some of those questions, am I passionate? Does it align with my gifts and abilities? Um, have I actually prayed about this opportunity in this path? Has God aligned this for me? Uh, what do my mentors think about this? Have I consulted anybody? Or have I just steamrolled ahead because this is just a plan that I've had since I was three years old? And it's like, ride or die, I will play professional baseball. <laughs> and you're like... Well, <laughs> maybe not, or maybe. So I think asking, just asking some of those questions are good ones. And if you come up against challenges, um, I, I would just share with you that that is part of any God journey, at any challenge, at any career, um, that that is just part of life. And so asking the questions, are these challenges unique to me? Are these challenges just part of anybody who is experiencing those in the same kind of career field. So, you know, I don't know if that helps at all, but I think I would just ask a lot of questions, you know, with that. Seek the Lord, like pray about it. Take, the op take your path to five people you trust in your inner circle and ask them, Gus, where's Gus? Is Gus in here? Gus and I were talking about this earlier. You know, if you've got a big life decision or a path, Figure out everything you can about the path that you're on or you're considering, and then consult that with mentors who know you. There it goes. Consult that with mentors who know you and, and ask for input about this. Ask questions like, does this path or opportunity actually make sense in the crossroads of life that I'm in? Sometimes it's the right thing at the wrong time. Is my, does my gut have peace with what I'm doing, even though this is really hard? Is it the right thing? And I still have peace about it. It's just hard because I'm blazing new trails, okay? Nehemiah faced massive resistance in, in doing something that was a God vision, and it was hard. 
and he probably questioned, but I don't know if that helps you, Daniel, at all. Well, no, I mean, it was just a general question. Yeah. I'm sure you could apply that to also like, yep. relationships in your life. Yep. So, yeah. Especially when you said wrong, uh, right through wrong time. Yeah. And I, this is just my, where I'm at with like the career thing. I think God gives us the freedom to live out part of our calling in a bunch of different careers. If I wasn't doing ministry full time, I'd be living out my career as a businessman or entrepreneur or coach, whatever I'm doing. So I think God gives us the freedom to live out our calling in different ways, you know, in different seasons. And it's not that one is so much better or worse than the other. I think we have the freedom, you know, to be able to look at that. I know people that were, this is crazy. I know people who were nurses that became pastors. And I know pastors who left ministry as an occupation full-time to become nurses. It's all ministry. And it's all extremely impactful and important. It's just living that stuff out, you know, in, in different ways. Thanks for your response. Yep. Yeah, let's go right here. I see a hand right here. Yep. Tell me your first name. Alyssa, it's good. Were you here last night or, or just today? It's good to have you here. Okay. One thing that I've heard from people is, well, you know, God moved us here, and so we're just going to stay here, and so God moved me somewhere else. And I'm, like, looking at my own life, and I'm like, okay, I'm not, I mean, it's okay where I am, where God's moved me, but it's not, like, 100%, there's some things, is it wrong to look for another assignment, or do you just sit and say, okay, move me when you move me, like, how does that, I don't know. <laughs> it's a good question. So do you do, so... Do you look for opportunities that could be better aligned with your giftedness, passions, where you're at in life, or do you sit and wait for God? Is that kind of like to open up opportunities? Wisdom would tell me this, look for opportunities. Not, not, not sacrificing where you're at. So if my, my thing is this, I want to be fully present with one eye open. Like, I don't want to miss opportunities that may be coming around me, and I don't want to sacrifice like my presence for being too focused on my future purpose. But I think it would not be wise to just put your head in the sand and not look around. Case in point, if you want to meet somebody, because maybe a significant other, like you got that feeling and that stirring in your gut, you better look around. <laughs> like I'm just going to say, like, hey, a God, hey, God, here's my approach. I'm living with my mom and dad. No knock on that. Okay, no knock on that. Are you going to go out to social events? No, nah, that's not my thing. Okay, like you, you're going to go to potluck? No, nah, I don't like potlucks, foods, <laughs> foods, foods not all organic. Um, like, are you going to jump on a dating site? Nah, I just, the profile's too much work. Okay, you may have chosen your fate, you know, right there. So I'm just saying, like, <laughs> like you know, I think, I think it's both. Like, don't neglect how you can serve in the present, but keep an eye open for opportunities with what's going on. It, just because you like lists, I'll, I'll give you real fast, and maybe give us a little bit extra time, real fast. If you got a massive life decision coming up, this, is, this, is, this was for a year, my most popular podcast episode was this one, like 15 minutes. People wanting to know a strategy for making massive life decisions because, you know, we got a lot of those coming up. Do you make a career change? 
The quick strategy is this. When you think about like, do I move? What do I do? Number one, you do in-depth research on every possible opportunity. You wanna know the ins and outs of everything. Cost of living, neighbors, churches, friends, family, whatever. You need to know everything you can about that opportunity. Second thing is, you pick five or six people that you trust. You give them all the data that you have collected from your research and you ask them, you love me, you know me, pray about this opportunity for three weeks. Pray about it for me. Like I'm asking you to pray for me and I'm gonna call you in three weeks and we're gonna talk about it. Then you ask some questions on what is God telling me in his word? Like as you've been reading scripture, like what is popping out at you from his word? And then uh, I think it's, I think we're on four, is that right? Four is asking the question, does this move or opportunity shift make sense at my life crossroads? Could be the right thing at the wrong time. Last thing is after you data collect, you look in the word, you look at where you're at in your crossroads, ask yourself the question, what is my gut telling me? Do I have peace? Even if it's scary, do I have peace about this opportunity? Nehemiah, in front of King Artaxerxes, it may have been scary to say, King, I'm going to ask you for what I want. You think he was scared to do that? Probably. But did he have peace about it? He did. So where is your gut and your peace with the opportunity that may be in front of you? All that to say, be present, serve, maximize what's in front of you, but there's nothing wrong with keeping one eye open. I'm not talking about relationships. Amen and amen. Like, if you're present, hey, listen, <laughs> look, listen, if you're present, you better be present, okay? Men, men, we talked about that outdoor. Christian, engaged, okay? Remember, you know what I'm talking about, okay? Ladies, we can't let you know everything we talked about outside, but that's not talking about relationships but it's talking about opportunities, you know, that you may have. Is that, was that helpful? Yes, thank I don't know. All right, I saw, okay. Yep. I, all right, right here. And then Philip had a question too. Yeah, big, man, another, like, that's a great surface level question. No, that's good. That's, that's a really good question. I was raised and born into a Seventh-day Adventist Christian faith context. That was my context growing up. What I knew about faith was modeled by my mom and dad. I had the blessing of having a great mom and dad, and I'm so thankful for that. My wife did not. Uh, my wife's father uh, was very abusive, verbally, physically, abandoned her in college, stopped paying for college, all of her stuff. When it came to our wedding, uh, we only had two people from her side of the family attend our wedding. Her dad, her dad did not come to the wedding and would not walk her down the aisle. Hurt people, yeah. <laughs> that was a great whistle. <laughs> um, hurt people who don't seek healing and wholeness hurt people. And that's what it came down to. I grew up with a great example. My parents are married. They just celebrated like 40-some years of marriage. I, lo I love it, you know. Um, but my faith became real to me when I was in college. I think that's when it w I really just took the time to say, like, is this mom and dad's or is this really for me? And, and I've got to be able to say, like, I am, I am in full ownership 
of my spiritual path and walk and what kind of journey do I want for myself? My parents laid a great foundation, but I still had to take ownership of that journey. In my faith walk, tons of doubts. And, and most of the doubts early on were me doubting my worth and value. Me doubting uh, my identity. Like if God loved me, why? If God loved me, why is this prayer not answered? If God loved me, why am I still rolling solo? <laughs> you know, whatever it is. So I think there were a lot of doubts um, in my journey. And I think, again, when you have doubts, let me, just, let me just say this outright. God can handle your doubts. Like there is no doubt that God can't handle. So make the decision to take your doubts to God instead of letting your doubts separate you from God. And so what did I do? I wrestled forward. And I had some moments that were just very significant faith moments for me. Um, I was on the, I went to Pontepe serving as an SM, committed, did you? Really? Um, committed to serving God for the rest of my life because I fell in love with telling Jesus to fourth graders. That's, that was where I, that passion grew. Committed to, to connect with God and follow him with the rest of my life. 18 hours later, I fall off Sokez Rock 60 feet onto a pile of rocks, and I almost died. Coincidence? I don't think so. Okay, first time in my life that I make a public declaration, God, I'm all in. Like, whatever you want me to do. I'm, this was not title-specific, whatever you want me to do, I'm all in. Uh, 18 hours later, I fall 60 feet off a cliff. I land on a pile of rocks. My lower body is stuck in a fork of a tree. I've got no feeling in, in the lower part of my body. I go to a little rural hospital. It's like a abbreviated version. Go to a rural hospital. They take x-rays. The doc comes in and he's like, I don't get it. He's like, you don't have a single broken bone in your whole body. Every single vertebrae is fully in alignment in the way that it is supposed to be. Every feeling was in my, in my legs. Everything was solid. I I'm taking a day off because I have a headache <laughs> from falling. <laughs> my dad hits me up on a Monday. I'm not teaching fourth grade. My dad hits me up on a Monday in a phone call from upstate New York, and he says, uh, no small talk. He says, what happened to you? No email had gone to my dad. No text message, uh, nothing. He said, what happened to you? And I, and I said, well, I took a little fall, but I'm okay. And he said, are you sitting down? And I said, well, I'm actually laying down because uh, I had a headache. And I said, I'm laying down. And my dad says this. This is just the way it played out. He said, let me tell you a story. So my dad tells me this story, how um, on Sabbath morning in upstate New York, my fall happened on a Friday night. Sabbath morning in upstate New York, my dad says this. At 4.30 in the morning, he said, I heard the voice of God, wake me out of my sleep. And the voice of God said, get on your knees and pray for the life of your son. So my dad in upstate New York gets out of bed without waking up my mom. He kneels down and begins to plead that God would spare my life. He's telling me this, and I'm like, Dad, when did this happen? My dad was praying at the second that I was falling off a cliff halfway around the world about to lose my life. Not like in the general 10-minute vicinity. He was praying I was falling. He was falling to his knees. I was falling off a cliff. And God, in his providence, and you can't explain why God does what he does. You just don't know. There's some, there's some sparing and there's some not. You just don't know. But there are some moments in my journey like that 
that are just clear evidence of there being a reality to God. And those have become some anchors that I often go back to. Do I still wrestle with some doubts? Sure. Do I still have family members that I love who are dealing with intense anxiety and depression and mental health issues that I just am asking God, like, why aren't you healing them? You know, like, and I'm praying for what I want. So I still wrestle, but I just take my doubts to God, you know, in, in that journey. So that just kind of been a little bit of, little bit of my story. I think you do have a voice. At the end of the day, you choose your career. Nobody forced you to be a doc. You're a physical therapist, right? Are you? Physical therapist There you go. In, in the PT world, nobody forced you into your career. Nobody forced you to choose your ma major. And nobody says you can't shift or change. So I think what God does is God equips and he gifts you in certain ways. But I think ultimately we have the say on how that's lived out. Nehemiah didn't have to step forward in faith and say, King, let me go rebuild. So I think God equips with the gifts. I think God is so loving, he gives the opportunities. But at the, at the end of the day, we have full ownership in deciding what doors we walk through and what doors we don't. Let me just share this, because this was so big for me. I used to read Jeremiah 29, 11, and here's what I thought. God's got a plan for me. We've read that verse, and it's amazing, and I believe it. But what discouraged me so much is I thought for so much of my life, I have screwed up God's plan. And now I am going to receive plan B, or for me, it's like, gee, you know, <laughs> like I'm way down. Here's the amazing thing. If you go to the original language of that passage, it says that in so many words, God has the ability to recreate as many A plans as he needs to for you to get you to where he needs you to be, to use the gifts and the abilities that he has given you. So this is, oh, so good. You are not powerful enough to screw up God's plan for your life. <laughs> that God in his providence and leading can create a top tier, a plan for you, regardless of the mistakes and shortcomings that all of us have made within our life. Wow. Wow. That's, that's my perspective on it. I think Carl's got one too. Uh, can I give Praxis an assignment? Would that be okay? Are you all okay watching a PG-13 movie? Is that okay? <laughs> well, this girl laughs. Okay. There's a, movie that, there's a movie that came out like in 2015-16. It's called The Intern. I would just challenge you as a leader community, watch The Intern and look for the differences in the way that generations approach careers because it's a really good little case study. Um,
back in, you know, back in the day generationally, like coming out of World War II, it was all about job security. And there was like my mom and dad, they shifted jobs, but they never shifted career fields. My mom was a neonatal nurse for 22 years. And she always did that. My dad was a hospital administrator for his entire career, just uh, retired about th three, three years ago. So I think a lot of it was when you come out of war and you come out of depression and you come out of a place of lack, what do you want? Security, okay? And so it was all about job security. And it was about that factory job that you could depend on working for Ford or, or Whirlpool or whatever that you knew was always gonna be there for you. The average younger leader is, to, is expected to shift careers three to seven times in, in their lifetime. That could be different areas within a career. So I think a lot, Philip, of it is generationally. What I have read is this, I'd be curious what you think about this. Most uh, emerging leaders, young career leaders, they leave a job for two primary reasons. One is that in that particular job or career, there is no intentionality from the organization to develop them and help them advance. And if you're not gonna help me grow, I'm out. Anybody relate to say? Like, I'm out. If there's not a path for personal growth and development, and if I can't advance within this company, peace. <laughs> you know, I'm out. That's number one. Number two is, is younger leaders, and I think it's the most incredible um, place to be in or gifting. They so want to make an impact with their life that if they don't believe in the mission or the purpose of the organization, they would rather take a 50% pay cut and go to a place that's gonna develop them and invest in them with a mission and purpose that they resonate with. Anybody with me on that one? So I don't know if that helps a lot, but I think it just speaks to, um, there is such a God desire from the people in this room to make a significant impact with your life. Are you with me on this one? And God's gonna honor that. Like God wants to do something through you. Like you have that desire in you. Listen to it. Lean, in, lean into it. Carl and I were talking about a dream that he's had since 2014, a vision. If you have something in your heart to make an impact, lean into that. If you can't shake it, explore it. Lean into it. Pray about it. Seek counsel about it. So... Assignment that that movie, The Intern. Next Saturday it's a really good one. It, it's a good, it's a who is saying it's a good movie. It's a great movie. Yes. No, it's that it's Robert De Niro, and it's just got a, some good learning for generational differences. Uh, good question. I'll, I'll say two things. And it goes back to talk number one on Friday night and talk number two on Sabbath morning of this weekend. We have a lot of people who don't know their identity. If you, if you are going to look for your identity in an organization, the organization will potentially crush you. Because you can't handle the ebb and flows and the growth pains of an organization because you are getting your worth and value from the organization. So I think that's one reason people are coming out and they're, 
jazz to be in this career field, but you got to remember, you got to know who you are and you enter a career from your worth and value and identity. You don't enter a, you don't jump into a career so you can discover who you are. Hello. Okay. You want to already know who you are. So I think that's one. And I also think like we talked about this morning, you have some emerging leaders who have never heard what you heard this morning that you need to lead yourself well. And so they're not managing their time well, and they're letting their career control them instead of leveraging their career to make it work for themselves and their family. And so I think, I think that's part of it. Um, church politics are painful, like they are, but we are a living organism, you know, that is alive and struggles. For me, the reason I can hang in an organization that is painfully struggling is because I know who I am. And the organization with all of its growing pains and struggles does not define me. So I'm going to try to impact and influence the organization for the better because I'm influencing from the worth and value and identity that I already have. So I'm okay hanging in the pain because I know where I where I where I'm anchored, you know, and where my worth and value are. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church podcast. We really are excited for where we're going and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.